Welcome to the Fan Experience, a Phoenix Rising supporters podcast. Stick around for interviews, analysis, fan stories, and our love affair with Phoenix Rising. And now to kick things off is your host, Niall McCarthy. Phoenix Rising family schools are back in session. COVID is still with us. The holidays came and went. We were thrown a few bones with roster announcements, the most notable being that our beloved Kev Lambert is back for the 2022 season. Last week, I was urging you guys to watch him play with the Jamaican national team, as well as encouraging you to watch upcoming US Men's National Team World Cup qualifying games and who shows up on our doorstep, or should I say on our pitch, but Greg Berhalter and his crew. And by crew, I mean the United States men's national team. They're in Phoenix to soak up the incredible weather, to breathe in the fresh, clean air coming down from beautiful South Mountain, and no doubt to get a few tips from Phoenix Rising's coach Chance if they're lucky enough to bump into him. They're in town practicing for the World Cup qualifiers, which will be in Columbus, Ohio against El Salvador on January 27th. In Ontario, Canada, taking on Canada on January 30th. That's the same day Phoenix Rising start their practice. And then on February 2nd, they're in St. Paul, Minnesota, where they'll meet Honduras. I'm sure they're savoring their time here at Wild Horse Pass because let's face it, who'd want to be in Columbus, in Ontario or in St. Paul at this time of the year? I just looked at the weather forecast up there and it's minus one degree tonight. A theme has developed here on the pod during our off season, a theme of pro-rel, promotion relegation. It all started when we heard that executives from around the USL listed it as a topic for discussion at the recent USL Summit. A few weeks ago, we dedicated a segment of our show to the idea of pro-rel in the USL. Then we spoke to a team that was making the move up from USL League One to USL Championship League. That was Detroit City FC. We had one of their owners and founders on to talk about the club, and that was a blast. I've been reaching out to the other new team entering the USL Championship League this season, Monterey Bay FC, hoping to get them on for a chat soon so that you can know what to expect from them as we get closer to kickoff. Anyway, as I was saying, the theme that has developed on this pod during the off-season is Pro-Rel. We talked about the idea of Pro-Rel in the USL, we had the guest on who's making the jump from USL League 1 to USL Championship, so what's left? How about talking to someone who moved from USL Championship up to MLS? That would be a worthwhile addition to our discussion, that's exactly what we have for you this week. I want to point out that Phoenix Rising owners are actively pushing to bring our team to the MLS and not all Phoenix Rising fans think it's a good idea. Maybe we'll get into that in a future episode, but the number one thing we want to know is from the perspective of a fan, what's it like to have your team move from USL to MLS? What's the experience like? The fan experience, that's what we're after. To answer the question of what it's like to move from USL to MLS, we're off to Ohio. Cincinnati, Ohio to be exact, where we'll talk to coach Brad Goff about his fan experience with FC Cincinnati. They were in the USL with Phoenix Rising a few years ago and while Phoenix Rising's bid to join MLS came up short, FC Cincinnati's bid was successful and they've been basking in the glory of MLS ever since. Not really, not even close and we'll get into that. 
I wasn't able to find out a lot of connections between FC Cincinnati and Phoenix Rising, but I did learn that one of the first players FC Cincinnati brought on when they went to MLS was Darren Maddox, Phoenix Rising striker for the last half of the 2021 season. Anyway, coach Brad Goff, who has been a coach for about 20 years, has an excellent podcast called Talking Tactics with Coach Goff. You should definitely check that out. You can find him on Twitter at FCCincyTactTalk. Here's my conversation with Coach Brad Goff. Please enjoy. This is Rick Schantz, the head coach of Phoenix Rising, and you're listening to The Fan Experience. Coach Brad Goff, welcome to The Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising fans remember FC Cincinnati from when they played in the Eastern Conference of the USL. Tell us about what might be considered as those three golden seasons of FC Cincinnati football from 2016 to 2018. Yeah, we call those the golden days here in the Queen City because that was when we had a team to root for that that made us proud on the field as well as off. You know, FC Cincinnati has done a lot of great things off the field, but on the field, the product hasn't been there since those USL days. Sure thing, sure thing. So you broke a lot of records. You broke USL attendance records in 2016, your first year of existence. You guys did really well in the Open Cup. Um, you were regular season champions in, in 2018. So on the field, it was just a fantastic three years for you guys. Yeah, I think um, a lot of that had to do with the ambition of ownership and the general manager of wanting to get to MLS at some point. Uh, they made really they, they were really intentional about which players they brought in to try to reach that level. So from the outset, the organization was focused on being successful. Fantastic. And I was looking at attendance records and saw that at points you were over 30,000 people in attendance at the games and comparing that to other leagues, that's more than the average of all other top tier, top tier leagues in the world outside of English Premier League and Bundesliga. So it must've just been incredible. There must've been an incredible appetite for soccer in the city. Yeah, I had said for a long time that I thought that Cincinnati was rife for a women's team, actually, because the the amount of youth soccer being played here and high level high school soccer and club soccer on the women's side is just phenomenal. We've seen players like Rose Lavelle um, before her Heather Mitts come through the U.S. women's national team from Cincinnati. So uh, when the men's team came on, I thought, you know, this could work. And it surprised even me. And I'm very in tune with the soccer scene here. But just the way people got swept up in it and the way um, fans just turned out from day one. And then once those first few games came and went with that kind of attendance, then there was a palpable buzz in the city. And you had people saying, man, I got to get to one of those games, even though people, uh, even people that weren't that familiar with soccer were saying that it just kind of uh, was a movement that people got swept up in. It was really phenomenal to be a part of. Sure. And and you had fantastic players. Um, players who made the all-league first team that will be familiar names to Phoenix Rising fans. Shauna Coley, who plays with Orange County. Emmanuel Ledesma, last season played with Indy 11. Forrest Lasso with Tampa Bay Rowdies. And Corbin Bone with Louisville City. So do you remember these players? Do you have fond memories? Absolutely. Uh, in those USL days, things were relaxed enough to where there were times that I'd be walking on the concourse before a game and I would see Forrest Lasso when he was injured, you know, walking down the concourse on a, the way to his box. And I would stop and I'd be like, hey, Forrest, how are you feeling? He would stop and chat with me for a bit. Um, that level of player access 
off the field was really good. And, and all of those guys by and large, and I think a lot of USL players, they have a humility about them. So they're so willing to connect with fans there and, and be like that. And then on the field, you know, because of that level of success that we were experiencing as a club, bringing in good players, it was really exciting to have these players that were being talked about by other teams in the league as players they would like to have or players they want to see play. And um, guys like Forrest Lasso anchoring down the back line and, and chipping in with some goals off of set pieces. Corbin Bones, like his work rate is phenomenal, but also his ability to pick a pass and carry the ball forward in midfield. And then obviously you had Sean Acoli who uh, went to MLS the year after he was with uh, FC Cincinnati because his strength and his power and his ability to find that scoring touch was so good at the USL level. He got snapped up right away in, in MLS. And then obviously he's dropped back down since, but Watching players that you know you can connect with off the field have that amount of success on the field, you really feel like you're part of the joy. Emmanuel Ledesma, you, you mentioned, he still is active on Cincinnati Twitter, tweeting he, us here at uh, Cincy Sac, uh, FC Cincy Pack Talk, tweeting Cincinnati Soccer Talk, and we have back and forths with him. He truly loved this city and loves the fans, and we all love him back. That's so awesome. So you mentioned MLS, and... During your USL years, a bid was being made to uh, enter MLS, and you guys were successful with that bid. You had been playing at the University of Cincinnati Stadium, an American football stadium, um, and, and now you're moving to something new. There was a proposal for a new stadium, and you've been accepted into the MLS. So was that a happy day for fans? Oh, my gosh. It was... Um... It was like one of those days, like an election or uh, something that people have been waiting for that they're not sure how it's going to go, but everyone assumes it's going to go their way by nature of, of optimism, right? Uh, well, you know, there are some pessimists out there that were like, this will never happen. But to have that final announcement and, and to know that we got in after the disappointment of having Nashville get the MLS bid before us, even though they had not even had a real team yet, uh, was relieving to know we did it, but also exciting immediately to start looking forward. What are the teams we're going to be playing in the Eastern Conference? What are those MLS rivalries going to be like? It was a really great day for FC Cincinnati, a really special day for those of us who cover the team. And I think by and large, a good day for all the fans. Okay. So what was the key to your success? Presumably the large attendance and the proposal to build a soccer specific stadium. Anything else? Yeah, I think those two things had a lot to do with it, and that garnered a lot of national attention. And once you have national attention, you have other voices like a Taylor Twellman and Alexi Lawless kind of behind your bid because they say things like, how can you keep this city out of MLS with that attendance? Because they want to see a, a squad like that in MLS. It's good for the league, right? But you also have things going on behind the scenes, like not only was the goal to build a soccer specific stadium, but it was going to be privately funded. And so you start to remove some of those, uh, that, that red tape and those governmental issues that we've seen teams like NYCFC deal with, like Chicago deal with. Um, they knew that we were going to be able to get the, because of the size of Cincinnati, the stadium was going to be in a location that was highly accessible. So you don't have a stadium way out on the outskirts of town, like you do in Columbus or, um, you know, some of those cities. So, I think when you start to put all of those factors together and then you get the national push with that attendance and the success we had in the open cup, I think that's what really pushed us over the edge. 
Awesome. So let's talk about that new stadium, because obviously that's a big piece of the puzzle of being accepted into MLS. So as I mentioned, you guys played at an American football stadium owned by University of Cincinnati. And then just last year, 2021, you moved to your new home, soccer-specific stadium, TQL Stadium. Are the two stadiums really very different? Oh, they are extremely different. You know, we felt very blessed to be able to play at Nippert Stadium on the University of Cincinnati's campus because it was a really nice venue compared to um, some other USL squads. Uh, You know, Louisville City played on a baseball pitch, you know, like a smaller version of what you have with the Yankee Stadium and NYCFC. So to play at a stadium like Nippert, where the concourses were open, it was a really, really pretty good sight lines, was great. We didn't know how good it could be until walking in that first game at TQL stadium and just the way that a soccer specific stadium is laid out where the, the stands are right up next to the pitch and every seat has good sight lines and the uh, little, little details like the lines that you stand in to buy a beer are set up so that you can, in some of the concourse in some of the places so that you can watch the game happening because in soccer, as you know, as your listeners know, if you turn your back for a minute to go to the bathroom or get a beer, that is going to be the one time that somebody scores in the entire game and you missed of course. it. <laughs> okay. So you start playing in the MLS and we'll get to the team's performance, which maybe I can say was suboptimal. But if we can separate the performance on the field from the actual fan experience, what's it like for supporters? Like on game day, talk us through an MLS home game at TCL Stadium, TQL Stadium, keeping in mind that we're comparing MLS game day to USL game day. So I mentioned that um, the idea that you might see a player walking on the concourse in uh, the USL days, that is not going to happen at TQL Stadium. The players, the coaches, they all have private entrances. They get up to their box. Uh, Even after the game, it's incumbent upon the players to walk over and interact with the fans in those first couple of rows. And some of them will. Um, So the player interaction is less. The flip side of that is you get to day in and day out, watch international players, uh, maybe not superstars, but very good players play for your team and against your team. And as a fan, as a lover of soccer, you can't really replace that. It was so exciting in that U.S. Open Cup to have a guy like Bastian Schweinsteiger come in and play at Nippert Stadium against FC Cincinnati. Now, every game, you have the Iguain brothers coming in, you have, you have American players, you have uh, Daryl DK, young up-and-comers, and, and uh, you know, Ricardo Pepe coming and playing against your team. And then for your team, you have um, former internationals and Jeff Cameron, you have guys that might be looking to break into the U.S. national team, you have Costa Rican internationals like Alan Cruz, like Ronald Matarita. Seeing that level of talent and knowing that you're watching a guy that then during the international break, you can flip on the Jamaica or the Costa Rica game and watch them play for the national team. It just provides so much more energy that the whole feeling uh, to say it sounds a little bit trite, but to say that it's just bigger, it it just is, you know, you feel it just feels a little more special. That said, a lot of us do miss some of that, those USL days, you know, Phoenix Rising fans. Uh, love what you have because I'm sure you get to talk with players and coaches on your podcast on, in, in the concourse after the game um, at fan events. And, and that just, it doesn't go totally away in MLS, but it definitely gets smaller. It decreases. Gotcha. So with that special level of player, 
obviously those players are going to be more expensive and those costs are passed on to the fans, maybe with parking fees, higher costs of merchandise, more expensive seats, food and beverages. Is that true or is it a myth? It's true in some senses. I think that the stadium food prices, the concessions stayed about the same. There might be a marginal increase. Um, the big difference there is you have higher end options that cost more. Uh, you, it's not just the, the five beers at the, the concession stand anymore. You have the special Heineken MLS station, but then you have all the local Cincinnati beers and, and the national brands. So you can pay more if you want, but you don't have to. Now, seat prices have gone up, but they've gone up incrementally. I think FC Cincinnati has done a really good job. We've seen uh, other teams come in like Charlotte FC and announce their ticket prices. And we here in Cincinnati, our eyes get big, like, oh, I hope our team never gets there, much less year one. <laughs> so uh, they have gone up and it's been a little bit more difficult, especially to find the seats in the areas you want. You can still get those really cheap seats in the, in the corners, you know, <laughs> but to sure. get on the 50 yard line or the, the midfield line up high, like I, as a coach, I want to be able to see the game costs a little bit more. Sure. Um, sure. Merchandise being run through MLS, that has gotten more expensive. Uh, you no longer can go down to the, the local t-shirt shop and pick up your pick yourself up any official FC Cincinnati merchandise. Um, but I think that the increases have been marginal enough to where most people are not complaining about uh, the amount of money they're spending on game day. It's still very reasonable compared to NFL or Major League Baseball. Sticking with the fan experience for a second, do you guys have goal celebrations at FC Cincinnati? As a fan group, we have uh, certain songs that the, the supporters group sing. Um, and obviously they light off the smoke, uh, the smoke bombs, like a lot of clubs do. And it's really, it's a really special environment, but by and large, we just go crazy and we just watch the players enjoy it on the field. Um, the, the goal celebrations are driven by the players more than the fans in that regard. Brad, the reason I ask about a goal celebration is because in Phoenix, we have a goal song that's played over the loudspeakers when we score. And also the announcer comes on and shouts out the first name of the player that scored and the crowd responds with the player's last name. We do that three times and it's a blast. It's like Solomon Asante. So yeah, it's a good time. Then in El Paso, the El Paso Locomotive, one of the, our competitors in the USL Western Conference, their goal celebration involves a train whistle and of course we all know about some of the MLS celebrations like Portland Timbers they have a chainsaw sawing a log and Columbus crew have a jackhammer breaking up the concrete when they score so I'm just, I was just curious if you guys had anything along those lines but it sounds like you guys have your songs and you stick to it you'd be surprised how much something like a goal celebration will divide fans okay. <laughs> because okay. uh, you know, when it's really organic, like it sounds like your call and response with the player's name is sort of organic and everybody's on board when it comes to something that's not already there. Um, like the jackhammer in Columbus, they, they inserted that for their new stadium. Um, you get a lot of people, half the fans saying, you know, this is, uh, it's selling out. It, it's not, it's manufactured. This is not like you're trying to make something that's not there. You're trying to force something. And then from the outside, you get those same, all the haters, right? Looking at you and be like, this is silly. You're trying to be like the Portland Timbers. Uh, so we have talked about that in Cincinnati, actually, of having something, you know, in the NFL, you see the Buccaneers with like shooting off a cannon, things like that. I think that's really cool. But I think unless it arises naturally, 
it will just never encompass the whole stadium like it sounds like you guys have down there in Phoenix. Good point, good point. So let's move outside of game day. And I imagine that when you move to the MLS, that there's more media coverage and more excitement because of that. So more people talking about the team. So my experience at work is, you know, people will be talking about the Cardinals, the Suns, the Diamondbacks, and then Niall, how are Phoenix Rising doing? You know, they're not part of the conversations. So is is that a thing? Is there more media coverage and is it more exciting because of that? You know, the big downfall for Cincinnati in terms of media coverage is now we get to hear how bad we are on the national level, right? <laughs> we have uh, the guys on the MLS Assist podcast, you know, talking about Cincinnati and cracking jokes. Cincinnati's catching stray bullets from every which direction. Um, so that's a bit frustrating. But the fact that people know who Cincinnati are, I recently moved from Cincinnati out to uh, the San Francisco, California area. And when I wear my FC Cincinnati gear, a lot of people already know like, oh, are you from Cincinnati? That would not have happened when we were in USL. People would have been like, what is FCC? What is FC Cincinnati? You know, right. so um, that part of things I think is really gratifying. I've had people uh, like yourself who don't really have any affiliation with Cincinnati, just soccer fans reach out to me about my podcast or say, I like your podcast. I've listened a couple of times. And in the USL, that wouldn't have happened uh, mostly because um, the fanfare just isn't as large, right? There's not as many people searching for your club. And so they don't find you. And I just want to say that your podcast is absolutely fantastic. You approach things from a tactical perspective and just just love your your positivity despite the fact that your team isn't doing so great on the field. So maybe that's a good transition to get talking about your team's performance. You know, FC Cincinnati were a top performer in the USL. Then you join MLS and things start to go downhill. So what went wrong? Um, Was it that you didn't have the caliber of players? Was it that you had a huge turnover in coaches? What's been the problem as you've entered the MLS? When FC Cincinnati entered the MLS, their initial roster build and the way they used their mechanisms was really poorly done, roundly considered to be the worst uh, ever for an expansion team in MLS. Um, we tried to enter the league with a lot of USL players, but not even like Minnesota United did, where the whole goal was just to get an MLS for a year or two with those USL players and then dump them all and move on. Uh, the general manager for the USL days, Jeff Birding, is not a soccer guy. He, he's a formal general manager of the Cincinnati Bengals, the American football team. So he was doing things just based on the people in his ear, uh, giving the coach a lot of power and player acquisitions. Our expansion draft was a disaster. Uh, you get a bunch of allocation money, which it, for non-MLS fans sounds funny. It's basically... Um, roster mechanisms to make it easier to fit within the salary cap, you get a bunch of flexibility your first year and FC Cincinnati wasted a lot of it on players that are no longer around. Um, a guy like Darren Maddox, who um, wasn't what was needed for FC Cincinnati at the time, they brought him in thinking he could help them experience some higher level of success as opposed to year one of MLS thinking we just need to build a foundation and grow from there. So since that initial roster build year after year, we've had some bad luck with coaches who've had to move on because they've said things wrong um, and, and things like that. But also that roster build has just made us, the, made us see Cincinnati have to play catch up each and every year 
hopefully until now, hopefully now I heard a joke. Uh, somebody said, maybe finally we're back to zero. We're back to even and we can build from here. This kind of, in some ways feels like a, a year one for us because that roster build was so bad. Gotcha. Okay. Six coaches in three years. Um, I noticed that one of them's from South Africa. One of them's from Jamaica, two are French, two are Dutch. And now you've got a new coach starting an American coach, Pat Noonan. Was there any time that, that you heard the announcement that you guys were letting go a coach and that you said, Oh, he just needs more time. That's a bad idea. I don't think so. Not for me. Uh, the one would be Ron Jans, who replaced our first head coach, Alan Koch, who some of your listeners might be familiar with um, because he's a, a fairly big USL coach from time to time, year to year. Um, he ended up getting fired because he made racist comments. So I approve that of firing. I think that that needed to happen, but he was the only firing that I thought, man, I kind of wish he would have been able to stay around. Not that, not I wish they would have kept him after he said the things, but simply I wish he wouldn't have said the things. Yeah. Every other coach kind of ran their course. I was a Yap Stom supporter, our, our former coach before this current one, Pat Noonan. Um, I tried to push for the fans to see the positivity and the growth on the field for so long, but you started to hear stories coming out of the locker room about him, you know, taking the stack of analytics from the analytics department and turning and putting it straight in the trash can of uh, staff games where he would two foot tackle, you know, uh, the, one of the, the players on the other team that's from one of the other departments and, and kind of no nonsense. Um, one of those former players, I think that have, has experienced so much success as a player, he can't understand how to coach his players because he just assumes they should be able to do it. Like he was able to do it. Right. Okay. So we've got Pat Noonan to look forward to for 2022. Um, he played in the MLS. He won the open cup three times, the MLS cup twice with different clubs. He was assistant coach for eight years, mostly in the MLS, but one year with the U.S. men's national team. So one of the things that you do, Brad, is you evaluate coaches. So how do you rate this new coach, Pat Noonan, and how do you think that he's going to approach the game stylistically or tactically? Yeah, it's tough to get a really good idea because he hasn't had experience as a head coach of exactly what he's going to want to do. Um, but I would have to believe two things for sure about him. Number one, he's going to want to play up-tempo, exciting soccer. All of the teams that he has been an assistant for have done that, um, played very vertically, you know, not long ball, but when you get the ball, you go forward quickly. Um, in contrast, the coach we just had, Yap Stam, you would get the ball and you'd pass the ball all the way back to the goalkeeper, almost no matter what, and then just cycle it back and forth and look for those um, opportunities to go through, which is great for a team like Barcelona, but not for a team like FC Cincinnati. So that's the first thing. Up tempo, exciting soccer, get the ball forward, probably a lot of turnovers for our team, but also generate a lot of turnovers uh, against the other team. The second thing is... I think when he needs to be, he will be pragmatic. You know, he, that year you mentioned he coached on at the U.S. men's national team as an assistant was under Bruce Arena. He brought Kenny Arena, uh, Bruce's son, on board FC Cincinnati as an assistant coach. I think there's going to be some prag pragmatism of, you know, big games, late in games, holding on to a lead of doing what needs to be done and not sticking to some idea of a certain style you have to play. Um, so those two things together, I think, are already 
a welcome breath of fresh air because what we've had in the past at, at Cincinnati is coaches who have decided that they have a way that the team needs to play. And even when the team is clearly not built to do that from a personnel standpoint or is failing to do that, for some reason, uh, they just continue wanting to play that way and just blaming the players. Well, the players aren't executing. And at some point as a coach, you have to look at yourself and say, if the players aren't executing, either I'm not giving them the right idea or they aren't able to. And either way, the idea needs to change. Okay. So you're hopeful for success from FC Cincinnati for 2022. Fingers crossed for you. Let's talk about your rivalries just before we let you go, um, because fans love rivalries. And there's something I heard about called Hell is real. The hell is real Derby. What's that about? So there is a stretch of highway between Cincinnati and Columbus that is basically perfectly straight and perfectly flat for an hour and a half. You can almost set your cruise control and just take a nap. Um, Halfway through, approximately halfway through that journey, there's a giant billboard that somebody has put up on their farm um, that says hell is real. And it's one of those evangelism, you know, where are you going to be if you die today sort of thing. Um, but because it's in the middle and because it's kind of a well-known billboard for people who make that journey, uh, the, the rivalry that's already so natural between Cincinnati and Columbus in so many ways, you have um, one of Ohio's bigger cities. Ohio's most economically sound city in Cincinnati. And then you have the Columbus, Columbus, which is the capital, um, a smaller city, doesn't have as many pro sports, um, but wants to be looked at as like the main city in Ohio. So there's already this natural rivalry in so many ways on the football pitch was just going to be the next one. And the hell is real Derby was one of those things we talked about with the goal celebrations. It arose so naturally it just stuck and everybody has really embraced it. And it's hilarious. Yeah. What do you say to Phoenix Rising supporters who are hesitant about moving to the MLS? They love the USL. They love the player access. They see the MLS as a corporate entity, um, money grabbing. So what do you have to say to those fans? I think there is such a plethora of lower league soccer in America if and when Phoenix Rising moved to MLS, enjoy getting to go and watch some legitimate stars play and some legitimately good soccer. Enjoy getting to turn on national broadcasts with good camera angles and top announcers and watching your team play. And then go get player access at one of those, you know, PDL games, a local college, and see some really good soccer at that level at a lower price point with higher player access. Get your kids out there to watch those games and have the best of both worlds. Good deal. Last question for you. Do you have any good fan stories that you can share with us? Beyond the small anecdotes like catching Forrest Lasso or Jimmy, Jimmy McLaughlin on the concourse, um, I think the, the best moment that I've had as a fan came as a father. We took our kids to one of those fan events uh, where you get to go walk on the pitch and do a little tour of the locker room. And there were a few players out and about signing autographs. Mostly you stand in a line, you sign an autograph, you walk away. Uh, but one player, you know, Cincinnati native, Nick Hagland, um, who had a lot of success with Toronto FC and then moved to Cincinnati as a center back. Um, was walking by and spotted my kids and got down on their level, you know, squatted down and started talking with them like, Hey, like I see your shirt. I like that shirt and really connected with them. And so my daughter was seven at the time, my oldest daughter, she is now 10. And when she sees me watching FC Cincinnati, she still pokes in and says, Hey, is Nick on the field? And if he is, she'll stop and watch. He's just going to be her favorite player forever because he connected on that personal level. And so, uh, I thought that was really cool. And it made me really respect Nick Hagelin because of that. 
That is so awesome. Coach Brad Goff, thank you so much for joining us in the fan experience today and good luck in the upcoming season. Thanks for having me. Keep doing what you're doing. I appreciate it. Hello, this is Juan Uresti from 90 Mass Rising and you're listening to the fan experience. Phoenix Rising family, thank you for sharing this pod with a friend, for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and by following this podcast. During this off-season, we've been doing our best to keep this sense of community going for our team. And although we didn't have a game to cover, or a new player announcement, or new player stories every week, I hope that we've managed to keep you entertained and that you enjoyed our Phoenix Rising season roundup in episode 36 and our interview with our coach, Rick Shantz, in episode 35. That one was awesome. Episode 35, check it out if you haven't already. Thank you for listening and special thanks to Coach Brad Goff for being a fantastic guest. We'd love to hear from you, so send your questions, thoughts and ideas to thefanexperience at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at FanExperienceFC and the invitation is always there for you to come on the show to talk rising, even if all you want to say is, Go Rising! Go Rising!